0: Before we get with our guest, Jim McLennan, Tim Swartz and I wanted to talk about a little bit about last week's episode with Michael Schrad. Mm -hmm. Now, Tim, I want to get your reaction to this. He he was basically a good guest. Oh, yeah. But, but (laughs) his credentials are talking about the fact that he's a military aerospace historian Uh, He's studied mystery aircraft and classified propulsion systems and all this other stuff that he lectures about. And then I asked him to talk about that because it's half his bio and he refuses to. Right. Right. What was up with that? Now, you've you've talked to him before, right? Mm hmm.
1: Right. Yeah. um, From listening to him, you know, in prepping for this show, apparently Whatever capacity his job is now, um, he has uh, uh, nondisclosure agreements, and I think that there's a possibility that uh, you know, whatever his current job is may take a dim view on his uh, outside interests. That's what I'm thinking. there could be things also that you know, because of his uh, uh, you know, NDA that that he can't talk about. but I just wonder if his his bosses now are just like, uh, you know if you're going to work with us, you, you, you we want you to keep your UFO and uh, uh, top secret black budget aircraft interest on the download just a bit. That you know that's just my own opinion.
0: Well, I don't know. I didn't want to press it because I don't know the guy. And I figured wrecking the show over that didn't make sense. Because <laughs> well, I could have. Know. I could have said, you know what? Yeah, I don't have time for this. You know, sure, goodbye. sure. But instead, I said, well, okay, let's just talk about Flying Saucers. And that was pretty good. Except also that what got me a little upset is the copy of the book that we got from him is not the final version of the book.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I guess we – I guess. We would have had to have paid for that one.
0: <laughs> oh, come on. If you're doing a show with a lot of right. listeners and you're promoting somebody's book, you normally assume they will get a copy to you. Now, mm-hmm. one exception recently, like in the last year or so, is John Burroughs, the guy who is one of the witnesses in the Rendlesham UFO encounter. And he comes out with a new book. And I say, hi, John. You know, I thought we had a good relationship. In fact, when he was on the PowerCast once, he was in the studio with me. He mm-hmm. came to my home office and he was sitting there and we were doing a show and he was very nice. I said, Get us a copy of the book. No, you have to buy it and then I'll do the show. Wow. You know, anytime.
1: I'm on, you know, anybody else's show and they want a copy of my book whether it be, you know, just a PDF or a hard copy. I'm always more than happy to provide it. So I mean, I I don't understand that kind of Attitude, I guess, you know, are you are you so afraid that you're not going to make enough sales that you have to make sure that uh, even uh, shows that you're on, you know, buy a copy?
0: <laughs> you have to invest in promoting things, I think. Uh,
1: yeah, yeah. I just I just wanted to say, though, about, you know, our previous guest, when we had him on Exploring the Bazaar, that was before he had his, uh, his current job, and, uh, you know, he was more open about discussing those uh, those things then more so than he was so you know now so i'm not quite sure what has changed you know it's been a couple of years but uh yeah it's uh there there there's some dynamic that has shifted
0: well i didn't want to press him on it because i felt we should talk about the book and talk about the flying saucers or whatever you want to call them and not deal with that anyway james mcclennan welcome to the power cast this is not about you
2: Okay. Thank you very much.
0: (laughs) Okay. So we want to talk to you about the fact that you've got an interesting background here, but I'm reading the material here. You're a sociology professor, it says here, a licensed clinical social worker. Do you work as a teacher or what?
2: Well, I was a college professor for over two decades. And during that time, I went back and got a master's in social work. And so then I became a clinical social worker. I worked in a psychiatric hospital. I'm I'm retired now. I was a college professor for many, many years. Then for the final eight years of my working career, I worked in a Virginia Beach psychiatric center in uh, Virginia Beach, Virginia.
0: Okay. Now, your involvement in the world of the paranormal, how did, did that begin?
2: Well, it all it started out so long ago. I was a Vietnam veteran, and when I came back, I decided I I, I was a, a actually a civil engineer, but I decided I wanted to be, become something different. I, and so I went back to graduate school and, and was studying sociology. And just one day, I decided I it was just too boring, and I went and checked out the Journal of Parapsychology in the library and started reading about it. And it turned out that using meditation was thought to enhance one's extrasensory perception ability. And I had had some very, very strange experiences while I was in Vietnam. And so one thing led to another, and I uh, cooked up a a PhD dissertation which involved studying a parapsychologist's kind of like a, a scientist. It, it, this is a, it was a sociology of science study. So I ended up traveling all over the country interviewing parapsychologists, and that put me in touch with them, and they had my address, and people were contacting them all the time. So when cases came up, haunting cases and poltergeist cases, they would send me the information, and I would go interview those people also. So I I started doing that kind of as a sideline because it seemed just astonishing to me. I couldn't believe that that, that these kinds of things were so prevalent. But it turns out this is in the 1970s, early 1980s. It turns out that they've always been somewhat prevalent. People just didn't really realize how prevalent these kind of things were occurring.
0: I think if you talk to people and they're willing to open up to you, an extremely high amount of people have had unusual encounters. It could be ghost sightings. It could be UFOs, whatever it is. But I wanted to dovetail back to your experiences in Vietnam, where you said you had some ESP type experiences. Can you tell us about some of them?
2: Well, it wasn't actually extrasensory perception. And I didn't really have a framework for interpreting it at the time, but there was a, There was a a period, a stage, where I was embedded with South Vietnamese combat engineer units. And I was on this uh, Nui Com Mountain. uh, In translated English, it's called Forbidden Mountain. And it was thought to be kind of a magical or sacred place. And we were supposed to be building this fire base on top of it. And the, the conditions were just so very, very primitive. I was... I was embedded with South Vietnamese combat troops and I didn't speak uh, Vietnamese very well. There were very few people I could communicate with and we were surrounded with Viet Cong and they were coming up to our lines every night and there was just a lot of stress and uh, it, the whole situation looked incredibly, incredibly bleak and that we were supposed to be building these fire bases on top of the mountain and uh, my, my counterpart was this South Vietnamese major and he was kind of a, a mafia figure or something he had all kinds of underground connections and the troops were incredibly afraid of him so it's a, it a very strange environment because he was so powerful that he he took he revealed that his superiors had turned against him and he was being sent to this position particular place so that he would die they wanted to have him executed the enemy they expected the enemy to attack and we would be overrun, and he would be killed. That was his prediction for the future. So that sounds like pretty bad prognosis.
0: And it's certainly a place you wouldn't have wanted to be in, I guess. <laughs> no. Anyway, we've got Jim McLennan. We're talking about his introduction to the world of the paranormal. I'm Gene Steinberg. He's Tim Swartz. You're in the Paracast. Paracast. <laughs>
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast
0: community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Back to Vietnam. You're dealing with this counterpart from South Vietnam, Jim. And I want to ask you, first of all, the guy spoke English and everything?
2: he spoke english so he was my main contact and there was another sergeant who spoke some english at that stage i i could speak uh, some semblance of Vietnamese. I know how to say, how are you? How many kids do you have? What's, you know, how's your mother doing? How's your father doing? I could carry on all these rudimentary conversations. But he was a very powerful and strange character. And he had this antique tea table that he had brought in. We, we were living in a tent and he had this tea table. And then every afternoon we had tea in the afternoon. And we sat around this tea table on our cots And drank this tea. And he told me that that was his connection to reality that made him realize who he really was, was this tea table. And so that became kind of a a symbolic object for us. We were going to hold on to reality by having tea in the afternoon. Let me Uh, ask
0: you one quick question before we do that. Okay. The food in Vietnam, is it anything like we see in the restaurants here in America or what?
2: Well, in the restaurants in America, you have High cuisine kind of food, the kind that you would get in a good restaurant in Vietnam. In those combat conditions, we didn't even have sea rations. We just had rice, and then we would have maybe a can of sea ration chicken or a can of sea ration beef, and we put it on top of our rice. And that—that that was all we had. The food was was very very limited, and I was hungry the whole time. And I think most of us were hungry, but. The situation became even worse because we couldn't, we were hitting rock to build the foundations for these bunkers we were supposed to build, so we were having to blast the rock. The rock would fly up and then it would come down on top of us, so we were essentially mortaring ourselves each day, and uh, it seemed like pretty soon we were going to be taking casualties, and then the Viet Cong were putting up uh, landmines, and so people were taking, we were having casualties from the booby traps and landmines. So this one particular explosion of the rock, I I was walking around to see if we'd taken any casualties from the explosion, and this rock, a huge rock, about three feet long, it must have been over 100 pounds. I can't believe it was launched by the explosion. It doesn't seem possible. But it had fallen through the roof of the tent, and ripped a hole in the tent, and it had crushed the major's table. Mm. This tea table had been crushed. And everyone who saw this just went pale because it seemed like this was some kind of omen. This was indicating that something very bad was going to happen, particularly for this major. So it turned out that was what we expected would happen. But the Vietnamese general came to our position, and they made some kind of deal with her. Instead of building the bunkers, he and the general, the major and the general, are going to sell all the lumber on the black market. <laughs> and this is the kind of thing that happened in Vietnam the south vietnamese government and the south vietnamese military were just incredibly corrupt there's no way for them to sur- survive without being corrupt the idea of the war being logical or justified just was totally escaped me and most of the south vietnamese soldiers didn't want to be there either it was it was a, just a very very bizarre situation then that next morning uh, we saw the VC over on another hill. When I called in uh, artillery fire, but the South Vietnamese artillery down, the, down in the valley, they couldn't just seem to respond. They couldn't get it together. So the hours went by, and then I had this strange compulsion to walk to the northern part of the perimeter. And I was a little bit embarrassed because there was no reason to go there, but I just started walking. And then suddenly down in the valley, the South Vietnamese artillery fired, and they fired a shell. Which is supposedly was supposed to go to the on uh, the Viet Cong, right? But it landed right in our perimeter and right at the po- right to the point where I was walking towards. Okay, mm-hmm. so it knocked out my hearing, but it didn't injure me in the slightest. All the all the fragments missed me for some reason. And so I decided I'd pick up one of these fragments as a souvenir, and that turned out to be pretty stupid. I cut my finger, and I couldn't stop the blood from bleeding. I had injured myself. It was kind of like a, a, a moral tale or something. It's like we have met the enemy, and he is us. You know, here I escaped injury, but then I injured myself. So I go back to the, the tent to try and bandage up my finger, which is bleeding all over the place, but I couldn't hear anything for about— 12 hours or so after that to my hearing finally came back on its own
0: in other words it was like hearing rock music
2: it was like hearing nothing ringing (laughs) yeah
0: we always mention with loud noises
4: many of the the people who have gone to
0: rock concerts regularly or play in a band their hearing is shot
2: yeah, yeah, it's it's damaging to the ear. So, so I have a hearing disorder even to this day, but I still can hear. You know, it isn't like I totally lost my hearing. But that was one of just an increasingly series of bizarre events, uh, all kind of like poltergeist phenomena, would happen on this on this mountain that we were on, and that that was just the first of these rocks which seemed to fall from the sky, and the the second one fell. They brought an American Jeep in, a, in the Chinook helicopter and unloaded it. And we don't have any roads or anything. And to me, this seemed absolutely absurd. Why do we have this American Jeep? Well, it turned out that we were eventually going to get these uh, American, they were kind of like CIA guys, and they were going to be listening to the enemy on the radio frequencies that they were going to be using this Jeep battery. But I didn't know anything about that. So, But then a rock fell from the sky and it landed right on this Jeep and crushed the front of it. By then, everyone was kind of so freaked out by other events that we weren't really paying attention to that. But it seemed to me that that was kind of for me, just so that I would have a kind of story to tell. So that's the story that I tell in this latest book that I have out. The title is An An Iranian-American Veteran Exchange Stories and Discuss Inner Peace. I've got a uh, Iranian co-author, and he describes his experiences in the Iran-Iraq war. I describe my experiences in Vietnam. And then we talk about how to deal with this kind of thing, how to deal with the post-traumatic stress disorder and with the, the trauma and anxiety and all that kind of stuff. I think that's something that people need these days. Right now we're going through some kind of weird things. So in, in every chapter we have help, self-help stories, self-help exercises, things you can do to help yourself to get over this kind of stuff, because you don't have to be handicapped all your life from this kind of thing. You can go through very, very strange things. You can go through abusive childhood or terrible accidents or being raped or robbed or or going through some kind of terrible sickness. You can get over it just by practicing like a writing-to-heel exercises, a meditation exercise, all kinds of different exercises you can do to help yourself. So that's the nature of that book, which is really, these are things that happened before I fell into this realm of parapsychology.
0: But again, paranormal. It sounds as if the yeah. ghosts were trying to take sides in the Vietnam War.
2: Well, they weren't. Uh, there's actually more to the story. That commander that the my major, he was transferred off because he'd made the deal with the general, so the general saved him. We got this new guy who is a Buddhist. Uh, he was a Buddhist captain. And he's the one who really, I think he's the one whose side I became on and, and which who, he turned out to be a kind of a good guy. He, he expressed a kind of a, a deep philosophy, which I, we describe in the book.
0: We've got Jim and Tim and Jean. It means you're in the paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit gcnlive.com today.
11: USA Radio News with Kenneth Burns. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky again asking his Russian counterpart to sit down and talk. Vladimir Putin, despite being frustrated by not taking a Swiss victory lap, is not showing signs of backing off his invasion of Ukraine. He told attendees to a pro-war rally that Russia will prevail, along with other claims like Ukrainians have welcomed Russian troops. His claims are being noted at the United Nations, including one of a U.S.-backed biological weapons program of which there is no evidence of. Linda Thomas-Greenfield, America's ambassador to the U.N., says it's Russia who is planning on using biological weapons on the Ukrainians.
0: Russia has repeatedly, repeatedly accused other countries of the very violations it plans to perpetrate.
11: Unrelated to the war in Ukraine, four American Marines were killed when the Osprey they were in crashed in Norway. This is USA Radio News. Western Europe is dealing with a surge in COVID cases. USA Radio's John Hunt in Washington reports that it is prompting health experts to be on high alert. Dr. Anthony Fauci. we have to be
12: careful that if we do see a surge as a result of that, that we're flexible enough to reinstitute the kinds of interventions that could be necessary to stop an
11: additional surge.
9: In the past two years, widespread outbreaks like the one being seen in Europe has always been followed by a similar surge in the United States a few weeks later.
11: The dean of the U.S. House of Representatives has died. Alaska Congressman Don Young was the longest-serving member of that lower house, first being sworn in 49 years ago. His office said that the 88-year-old passed away as he was traveling home to Alaska. The Republican was born in California, but later moved to Fort Yukon to teach native Alaskans at a Bureau of Indian Affairs school. He survived by his wife, two daughters from his first marriage, and a host of grandchildren. You're listening to USA Radio News.
13: So sign up for free at ParanormalDate.com. That's ParanormalDate.com. Use the code word George and start meeting others. Get going now and connect with someone you like.
12: Hi, this is Joshua P. Warren, author of The Poor Man's Paranormal, and you're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
0: Jim McLennan is talking to us here about paranormal encounters back in the days of the war in vietnam fascinating because we don't hear too many things about this happening in the war theater as it says we hear of course about all the terrible things that happen in war but paranormal encounters wow
2: it's because the life at that time was just so outside of normal reality that I think it kind of invites very strange things. And and I encountered that at other times. I've encountered other situations where a mortar shell would fall and a person closest to it would be uninjured while people farther away would be would die. You know. One time there's even a case where a shell fell right inside this count pond and the a guy was standing on the underneath the kind of like a covering and the shell fragments uh, were all embedded in the wall and you could see his, the outline of his his body is as if everything was hit except where he was standing. Very strange situation.
0: Almost as if it was meant to be that way.
2: Yes, yes, it would seem so, yes. But uh, the guy ended up suffering from post-traumatic stress disorder because the children were severely injured. There were children in the patio and they were badly injured and uh, it, was a, it was somewhat traumatic. It was too much to to, for him to see firsthand
0: now regular power cast listeners will want to know you guys ever see a ufo out there
2: uh no i haven't seen a ufo but my research my research is involved doing surveys random sample surveys a lot of different populations And the seeing of UFO is correlated with other types of anomalous experiences, with extrasensory perception experiences and poltergeist experiences. The type of person who has one of these kinds of experiences is is more likely to have another kind of experience.
1: I just want to say that uh, uh, before we go off on to other subjects, your book, An Iranian and American Veteran Exchange Stories and Discussed Inner Peace, I I really found this book. Just very moving, and I I highly recommend that all of our listeners read this uh, because, as you said, it really is pertinent for all kinds of traumatic situations in people's lives, and and especially with you know all the stuff that is is going on right now. I, I think a book like this is is more important than ever for people to have access to.
0: We don't understand a lot of times. What happens during war? Because we have an all-volunteer army in this country, and their experiences are distant from us, except in terms of watching a fictional TV show. Well,
2: the guys came back from Afghanistan. The guys came back from Iraq. And uh, there's a a, a percentage of them who have real problems. It's something that that's not that easy to get over. And most of, the, most of them have not sought help. They don't really find much benefit in the traditional medical situation. So that's why Mohammed and I wanted, my, my co author is Mohammed Kodar Yarfard. He's the chairman of the psychology department at the University of Tehran. And the reason why I went there is because, in a way, the Iranians are thought to be our enemy. I had enough of Vietnam and I it, I felt like there really is a need for us to understand Islam and for us to understand Iran and for us to understand these different people who we label as our enemy. So I had a chance to go to a conference there and that's where I ran into Mohammed and we developed a friendship and we we started co-authoring papers about childhood psychopathology and the treatment of childhood uh, psychiatric problems, and that's when we both realized we were both veterans. And that's how we came to write this book, where we, we tell each other our stories and talk about how you can get over these kinds of things, and he himself has just astonishing stories to tell. He He went to the front with the war against Iraq with 12 of his friends from his workplace and from his childhood home. And during the course of the war, every single one of those men were killed. He was the only survivor. And this was very difficult for him to handle because one idea that they had was that they wanted to be martyred. They wanted to martyr themselves. So that was something that he, did, he failed to achieve. And I, I guarantee you it wasn't a result of him not being heroic. He was an astonishingly fearless person during that, during that warfare.
0: After he finished serving, what kind of work did he do?
2: He went before he went. He was working at a newspaper and the men he went with were all, were all newspaper reporters. Uh, so they took a lot of photographs and you can see them in the book. But then he went on to graduate school and became a child psychotherapist. He became a child psychologist.
0: Now, that's, that's the, interesting, too, here dealing with somebody in Iran. Do you run into any political issues in communicating back and forth?
2: Well, yes. You have to be very careful uh, speaking in Iran. You don't, you? don't have freedom of speech there, and you can't say you, you can't really say what you think. And everyone is aware of that—that that you can't really say what you think. Or, and and so, in all my interaction with him, we do not discuss politics. But I guarantee you, he's a very patriotic, patriotic. He's very
0: patriotic.
2: Yeah, patriotic Iranian, and he supports his country. But but the main thing we're interested in is is our mental health and and the mental health of people. So I visited many psychiatric facilities in Iran. It's, It's it's very ironic that their treatment method is probably better than ours. They seem to have more success success in their treatment than we do here in the united states so there's a there's a deep irony involved with this because a lot of the therapists are upset because it's it's a very stressful environment uh for them they uh the american sanctions have reduced their standard of living substantially
0: you say that's a higher degree of success is there something that you could explain that would cover that
2: Well, it's a controversy. Now, that's a controversial statement, and I'm sure there are people who disagree with me. It's not just Iran, but it's most of the third world countries and most non-technological countries seem to have lower rates of mental disorder. Now, I can't say that with certainty, but there's a lot of, perhaps a majority of people who are familiar with the international scene would agree with me. And it it could be because they have an intact family structure system. And that, that helps reduce mental disorder. It seems like an intact family structure is very important for mental disorder. And it could be that modern technology is not necessarily good for us psychologically. It's not good for our psychological health. And so I, I notice that among younger people in America today, there's a high levels of depression and anxiety disorder. And it's, our, our, our modern technology may not necessarily be good for us.
0: Do you think the ever presence of social networks, where people who are a little bit different can be have their lives ruined as a result?
2: Well, and then every everyone's got their own cell phone, and they spend a lot of time punching, poking at it. You know, they're punching number, they're punching, they're sending messages. So instead of sitting down and talking with each other, we're we're communicating with our little cell phones in our hands all the time. It's a it's a strange modern world, and I'm an old guy, so I realize we've got we've to adjust to the modern technology, but uh, when people just sat around on their porch in the evening time and talked to each other, they might have been better off psychologically.
0: You know, when you talk to somebody online, it's just text. You're rarely interacting with facial expressions by video. Either way, the actual human interaction is, Is very different. You can get away with things that you would not get away with if you were physically next to a person because they'd smack you in the face. But you get people who behave in very eccentric ways. We see this, of course, as I've grown up in the online world. I wrote books about it. And I see how certain people think that if they are essentially anonymous, they can get away with anything. We've got Jim, we've got Gene. We've got Tim. You're in.
11: The podcast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit GCNlive.com today.
0: Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code.
15: Says there's no reason why we shouldn't live to be at least 100 and have a great time getting there.
16: The complete website is ShopSuperT.com or call us at 818-984-6100 Monday through Saturday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. California time. That's 818-984-6100. ShopSuperT.com. This is Jerome Clark, author of UFO Encyclopedia
17: and other books. You're listening to the Paracast.
0: See what I mean about the online world? Tim Swartz can get away with any kind of wacky voice. I mean, if I well, met him right now at his home in Indiana, do you think he'd give me all those voices, Tim?
1: Oh, yeah, I probably would. <laughs>
2: we need the entertainment.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's a good source. I'm not very good at entertaining people. <laughs> Jim, okay, so let me ask you just a specific question before we run into other subjects because we have so many to talk about on this episode. And that is, did you suffer from PTSD after you came back from Vietnam?
2: Not technically, because there's, a, there's a, a series of specific symptoms that you need to have to be diagnosed with it. But it's a matter of degree. So there's kind of a continuum. What the experts have found is that anyone who experiences extremely traumatic event is going to experience some degree of trauma from it. It's harmful psychologically. It, it, it affects the synapses in your brain. Your ability, when your emotional level reaches a certain threshold, you're unable to use your rational mind to process the memory. That connection is disrupted. The people who are listening to this program right now, there's going to be a continuum of people. Some people are extremely happy, some people are so unhappy or so traumatized that they're diagnosed with having a psychiatric disorder, but the people in in between could still benefit from engaging in some kind of therapeutic process. They could become happier. That's the purpose of what the book that Mohammed and I wrote. We're we're urging people to follow strategies that help them to become happier. And it turns out that religion can play a role in that. Mohammed's a very devout Muslim, so a lot of his strategies involve. Uh, thinking along those lines but you don't actually need to be religious to use strategies that could be beneficial for you like like meditation or mindfulness or yoga or some any of these other mind body modalities
0: what do you think about artificially induced meditation we're talking about certain types of drugs
2: well i have a lot of firsthand experiences i hate to say when i came back i've Decided I would resort to marijuana on a full-time basis. It's not actually very good for you, and it it kind of help it prevents you from working things out to the degree you might you could do otherwise. But I understand that uh, there are certain substances which, are not, when used in, within the therapeutic system, they seem to be beneficial for people. And just it's just my personal opinion, but I think the real key is that the quality of the therapists that you have no it's just doing the drug in and of itself it's not going to have that real purity of value you need just some kind of direction
1: you know that's that's something that I see. I think you know you were talking about how uh, the third world countries seem to uh, do better with uh, treating uh, uh, mental health disorders. It seems like in the West there has become an overemphasis on uh, say like uh, uh, antidepressive pharmaceuticals, and then that's it. You know you pre- prescribe a, a patient some drugs and but leave out. The therapy part, and you know, while I think that the antidepressants, you know, it's probably a good process, but they can't just be used alone.
2: And then it's it's a little bit of a paradox because. The, the processes, like for example, there's a particular method, cognitive behavioral therapy, which has been proven to be very useful for depression, for example, or for anxiety. So, so we're telling people we well, need to do this, you need to practice these specific exercises. But uh, if it were that easy to do, then the people would have done it. Uh, so, so that so the so the the pathway towards success requires a certain level of effort, which a lot of people aren't willing to expend i think if you do if you do follow say we have a writing to heal exercises which is basically what our book is doing we were trying to heal ourselves we were writing to heal ourselves but so if you do so some of these writing to heal exercises they've been shown through control experimental uh, uh processes that they are effective so uh, there are strategies a person can use to help themselves. You know, we were talking about the parapsychological phenomena before, uh, and I was was gathering all these haunting cases, and then I presented a case at a parapsychological conference, and I ran into this guy, William Edward Cox, and he's the one who uh, invited me to help him investigate this particular group in Missouri, the Society for Research on Rapport and Telekinesis. And see their argument was that rapport was the secret ingredient that if you could develop rapport within the group then you could do psychokinetic phenomena you could you could make tables levitate you could make do table tipping get the tables to levitate so that kind of tied in with this notion of psychological health as, a, as being evolved from your relationship us, healthy relationships with other people, with developing rapport with other people. This is not that far away from what Christianity teaches. It's far away from what a lot of Christians practice, but Christianity has that same argument. It's the rapport, the love between people that seems to be at the root of solving a lot of our problems.
1: And uh, what, what year was this that you first got involved in, uh, Surat?
2: Well, I first met Edward Cox in 1980, and then in 1981 I came out to Missouri to see this the, the, these people who were doing this, who had this Society for Research on Rapport and Telekinesis. I, I think I may have been a more of a normal person before I got involved with this, but that was the kind of a turning point, because the, I saw things which were just really too much. Many, many very, very strange phenomena, and it and and a lot of it centered around Ed Cox's research with this group. He had, he had been an associate of J.B. Ryan, so he was very familiar with how scientific parapsychology operates. And Ryan had suggested that they devise some kind of sealed container through which nothing could move in or out. And then if something did move in or out, that would prove that the phenomena was paranormal. So Cox had introduced this idea to the Surratts. And they had constructed these containers, and think objects could move in and out all the time. It didn't seem to be that difficult for. And the pens would even write messages inside the sealed container, describing the nature of reality and all kinds of strange things. So that was the kind of thing which I was exposed to when I arrived in Missouri. The very, the very first day that I arrived, Cock showed me his. He called it a mini lab. It was, it was an inverted aquarium, which was had padlocks that and metal bands, which locked it onto a, a wooden platform. And then there were micro-switches in the floor of the platform so that if anything moved inside the sealed container, it would switch on a film camera. So he had created filmed images of psychokinetic phenomena. Well, the very first night I was there, at, at the, this is in Rolla, Missouri, where this phenomena was going on, that the thing... A pen lifted up and it wrote it. It wrote, "Hi, Jim." And so when I got up in the morning, that was inside the box—a message to me. It was a, everything was on a very personal level that they were trying to develop rapport with us and get us to develop rapport. They being these entities, whatever it was that that's doing, creating this phenomena.
1: Now, Surratt, uh, uh got it started. Uh, was it 1961?
2: That's correct. It was it was founded by Doctor J. G. Non-Nihart. And Nyhart was a very famous poet during during the at the turn of the, you know the early part of the century nineteen twenties nineteen thirties. And then he wrote he went on to write the book Black Elk Speaks. He he was very familiar with Lakota Sioux culture and was a friend of Black Elk and wrote the book and that became a bestseller. And then he. As he grew older, he he became a college professor at the University of Missouri at Columbia, and that's where. The Surat, he founded the Surratt Group because he, it was his opinion that rapport was the key to getting the spiritualist phenomena to occur. So he, he assembled a bunch of college students, and they all sat around, and put their hands on the table, and met regularly every week for week after week. And after about three months, they started getting raps to come out of the floor. And it was blackout contacting them. They could wrap out messages by one wrap for A, two wraps for B, three wraps for C, like that. So you could wrap out spell out messages.
0: Sounds like a modified form of Morse code.
2: Yes. Then, then they also have one wrap for yes, two wraps for no, three wraps for maybe. So you could communicate with these wrapping entities when I was, when I arrived in Missouri they I, I could talk to the raps they would wrap the wraps would come out of the floor and I would carry on I could carry on conversations with them You could put your hand on the floor and you could feel where the wraps were coming out the, as, a, as a vibration within the wood
0: It wasn't somebody else in another part of the house pulling a game let's have that answer on the other side yeah. okay Jim and Jean. And Tim you're in The ParaCast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Visit gcnlive.com today.
0: Hey listeners, the paracast. plus to learn more about paracast plus
7: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: So ever the skeptic, I ask the question of Jim McLennan, is it possible somebody, at least in some circumstances, is playing games with you and rapping, and when I think of rapping, I think of urban music. But doing this kind of rapping in another part of the house and you're picking up the vibes.
2: Well, you would think so. You would think, I mean, in this business of things getting in and out of the mini lab, but that must be some kind of like a magic trick or something. There must be some. And the, the film that cock. Cox produced Ed Cox, they seemed like they were stunned through stop action photography the The whole thing had a kind of hokey quality to it, so I assumed that there was some kind of wrapping device that concealed concealed in the floor so i uh, and the the it the, was there, John it was a uh, Tom Richards and Elaine Richards were the where the people whose house I was staying at, there in Rolla, they were very friendly to me, and they allowed me to stay right in their house in the spare bedroom. So I waited till they were gone, and I went down to the basement. I inspected every the floor beams and looked. I looked at his shoes and his closet, and I figured there's got to be a way of figuring out to explain this because it seemed just too absurd. The whole the whole thing was just so over the top absurd. You know, there's been a history of, of fraud within spiritualism. And so that if when you encounter this kind of thing, I think you should assume that there's fraud. And that was my assumption at the time. And I, I hoped that if I could just figure out how this is done, that would enhance my career as a, as a paranormal investigator, you see.
0: So how did you go about trying to figure out how it was done?
2: Well, I kept my eyes open all the time. I, I tried to keep a track of everyone's position inside the house, and I couldn't figure it out. And so I decided I just wanted to get away from this, and this was a little bit too mind-boggling. So and after I'd been there for three or four days, I said, okay, I'm going to be leaving. But then the raps came out of the floor, and it turned out it was John G. Neihart was rapping to me, the famous poet. And he invited me to go to Skyrim, where his home was, where his his daughter still owned the home, and they were going to have a meeting on Sunday. And he wanted me to come to it. And the social situations, I felt kind of obligated because I'd been a guest at these people's house, so I agreed I would go ahead and come to it. And uh, uh, the when you know would be occur, this meeting would occur a week from then. And uh, Tom Richards gave me a bunch of audio tapes from experiments that they had. I think I think there's an awful lot of them. There are 30 of these audio tapes, and uh, so I, I politely took these and I said, "Well, I'll listen to some of them." When I wanted to go back to St. Louis because I had a parapsychologist I need to interview there in St. Louis, so on the ride back I listened to these tapes. And these people have been doing experiments. They've been making audio tapes of every single experiment, and he had been taking notes regarding every single experiment. And they had had table levitations, they had been photographing the tables up in the air, they had been communicating with the raps. The raps wrapped out messages, they they had a particular philosophy that they were advocating. It was a very, very complex situation. And these, these people had been involved doing this for over 20 years, and they they had developed a very high level of rapport within their group. So I went to the session on they call it Skyrim where the farm was. The raps were coming out of the floor in three different places and people were talking to the raps. And I it turned out I was the I was with people I didn't know and they had were unfamiliar with the raps themselves and it it was up to me to interpret what they were saying and count the you know spell it out and try to explain what was going on i found myself in a strange position of being part of the group and explaining it to outsiders that was the beginning of my realization this is something that's i certainly could not explain with my superficial explanations was saying well there's a wrapping device hidden in the floor at that session the wraps could come right out of the bare ground Reps came out of their bare ground, and you could you could detect where they were coming from in the ground. So I, I realized I could not really explain it. I tried to interpret it within sociological paradigms, sociology of religion paradigms, but uh, unfortunately, the sociologists are are not familiar with psychical research literature. It would seem to me this is this would be probably something that shamanic practitioners would probably have experienced. There's they probably have had the similar experiences as modern people with regard to extrasensory perception and psychokinesis and out-of-body experience, near-death experience, all the different phenomena we experience within the general population. I would expect the sh- people in Paleolithic times probably experience those same things. So that, that would explain the origin of religion I, to my mind. That's my, that would be my hypothesis.
1: When you were there at the farm the first time, and you have to refresh my memory on this, didn't you have another uh, experience that was rather uh, earth-shaking, so to speak?
2: Well, let's think about that. It was an emotional experience, and I, I could feel there's like waves of, of emotion, of rapport were sweeping through us, and the, the room sh- started shaking. It was like an earthquake was occurring. I have to admit, I was still skeptical. I was looking around. I was thinking, someone must be producing this earthquake. They must. Someone must be jumping up and down. And I was, I was trying to see who that person might be, looking at everyone's knees and trying to figure out who was causing it. And then I realized I just had to go along with it and just allow these waves of rapport just to sweep over us, to sweep through. And then I would just have to go along with the flow that made i had that realization
0: you know what's interesting to me when you hear stuff like this you wonder if some force or entity has all these powers to communicate with you why would they do it in such a wacky way
2: well that's a difficult thing to explain i can only conjecture about that uh it seems that uh an awareness of the cosmos awareness of the interconnection of all life and all these wonderful new age kind of ways of thinking and talking maybe that's not really maybe that doesn't contribute to to the evolutionary process. It seems like evolution involves uh, protecting yourself and trying to pass on your own genes and, and protecting those genes there's a, there's a selfish quality to it and perhaps the realization of that we're all connected. You would need to engage in that evolutionary struggle. It doesn't matter whether you're alive or dead, and, and within, a, if you're outside of space and time, then it doesn't really matter. You see, so you, there, so there's no need to to do to be anxious to continue struggling.
0: I still don't understand how that explains this wacky way of communicating with people
2: well i don't know i don't think that i'm really explaining it very well myself but it but that does seem that the trickster effect seems to be an inherent aspect of the phenomena and the does the, the harder you struggle to try to explain it away using a, a normal methodology it seems to be the greater amount of trickster quality you have the more wacky quality you have so it could be because cox was trying to to do this in such a a careful fashion that, that, it was, that it was manifesting with all these kind of trickster and strange, wacky qualities. But, you know, spiritualism is like that. You, know, you can't really verify the, the authenticity of most of the phenomena. If it were easy to do, it would have been done to a greater degree than it has been done.
0: Well, we make assumptions. We assume if we're getting to communications, it has to be from the afterlife that somebody lived and died and went to a place where all they have to do, or maybe it's because they have empty lives, is hanging around in the house in which they used to live and scare people or rap on their chamber door. Only this and nothing more.
2: Yeah, and then then actually, uh, say a person goes to a seance, typically the, the most magical experiences involve some small pieces of information which they gain uh, so it isn't as if they're actually communicating with a with a with a living personality. It, there's there's a kind of a, a strange uh, process going on, a kind of a sociological process where the, the person is constructing this because they they want to construct it. You have a person like James Randi, the arch skeptic. They don't have those kinds of experiences.
0: Let's yeah. break here. We'll talk more about this in our next segment with Jim and Gene and Tim. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Once again, the paracast.plus. Prices are just 50 a week less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out the paracast.plus to learn more about paracast plus.
18: Are you ready to retire? Inflation is picking up, markets are volatile, and the dream of a comfortable retirement is harder to attain than ever before. The stock market goes up and down is beyond your control, but you're at a point in your life where you can't afford to make big financial mistakes. I'm Al Abarroa, founder of 9 Strategic Wealth. Our investment strategy allows you to go up with the stock market, lock in your gains, and when the stock market goes down, your investment won't lose a dime. This works for your investments, savings at a brokerage firm, or even money at a bank. It's
4: I know I need to pay attention to my health, but I just can't seem to find the time. Between rushing to work and taking care of the kids, there's not much time left over for me. So I decided to start small, by eating more fruits and vegetables and being more active. And then I got the family to make some changes too. We started by keeping a bowl of fresh fruit on the counter, and I limit the amount of sweet snacks I keep in the house. I've also found some creative ways to add more vegetables to our meals. We're taking more walks, and on the weekends, we head down to the pool at the rec center. It doesn't happen every day, but it does happen. You don't have to change your entire life to be healthier. Just make some simple changes and include your family. You'll see how easy and fun it can be. You can make a difference.
19: Eat smart, play hard. And when you do, your kids will too. A challenge from USDA.
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
0: I asked the late James Randi. I knew him before his skeptical proclivities were out of control. One time he was just a magician. Then he actually did a talk show in New York. He replaced Long John Nebel doing a show that sometimes talked about the paranormal. And then I remember he was also an amateur astronomer. At some point in time, all we can think of with Randy is his skepticism of paranormal claims and his million-dollar reward with 2,000 conditions. But he's no longer with us, so we can't argue the point.
2: I also interacted with him a number of times, and I I went visited him at his house and met him at various conferences. And he wanted to help me become more skeptical, and I did my best to remain skeptical. But I encountered too many things which seemed to overthrow that orientation. If you make skeptical predictions, a lot, a lot of times they're refuted.
1: You're talking about earlier about the, uh, uh, the the trickster aspect of the phenomena, and uh, and as Gene was asking, you know, I mean, why would these entities communicate by you know raps on the wall and you know moving stuff around? When if they have that ability, why can't they do more? But there is a universality about all of this. You can go any place in the world, you know, depending, of course, on you know cultural expectations, find the very same types of, uh, of phenomena throughout history.
2: Yes, that's indeed the case. And this rapping sound is a universal phenomena. Within poltergeist phenomena, you often have raps and the throwing of objects and the, the trickster-type qualities of The poltergeist agent oftentimes being involved in doing tricks like that and being caught engaging in trickery. It's a puzzling situation. And I was at the time when I was deeply involved with this case, I thought to myself. Why is this so stupid? Why is it so ridiculous? Because it, it was way off. I, it, I had a great deal of difficulty getting my this book entity letters published because it was everything was just so very very absurd, and most people thought that they could explain it away. But if there is, uh, let, let's think about suppose there is such a thing as an entity. Okay, some spiritual. Being that has some semblance of personality or something like that. Well, if they encounter a skeptical audience, then that thwarts them, their existence. So I think the, the entities would like to have some kind of mechanism for making the skeptics go away. So being absurd and manifesting in absurd ways does that. It makes the skeptics just quit. And the, the parapsychological community got fed up with it because the phenomena could not be fully verified to their, to their satisfaction. So they lost interest in, the, in this phenomena. But as a sociologist, I was just kept up with it because I, I was thinking, well, this helps explain the nature of religion to some degree.
0: Does it emphasize one religion over another or any religion?
2: Well, no. In my travels, I found that these miraculous kind of phenomena crop up in all societies. So it seems to be a a universal feature. All over the world, people have extrasensory perceptions, out-of-body experience, psychokinesis, near-death experiences. They develop... Belief in spirits, souls, life after death, and magical abilities. In particular, people have a propensity for this. They have young, they have childhood experiences, and the people in their community see the phenomena around them. Being around them increases your probability of having an unusual experience. So these are the kinds of people who would end up becoming shamanic practitioners now in a modern society we have an organized religion where you need to you have priests and there's there's books which everything is quite structured so we're divorced from this spontaneous type of individual experience and group collective group experiences is less important because in a modern society you have very huge entities and you need bureaucratic structures for organization so religions that are going to survive have to have that type of bureaucracy and bureaucratic structure and the the leaders don't need to have this propensity for extremely anomalous experiences but it seems that Uh, wherever you go and and i've had the chance to do a lot of traveling every country i've ever been in there's people will tell when they find out the kind of research i do they tell me this is very similar types of strange stories there's there's patterns to them
0: that certainly indicates an ever-present force whatever it is and if there's a trickster element maybe you can bet that whatever you think it is is probably wrong
2: well, probably, but whatever you think it is, it'll manifest. There'll be a tendency for it to manifest that in support of that. Perhaps that that would be a, a hypothesis, wouldn't it? If you think that you're going to communicate with deceased people, then it'll take the form of of being deceased people. And within the Surratt group, there's a, a certainly over half the people who participated felt that they were talking to discarnate entities, to deceased people. And that was part of the recreational activity of it. You can talk to your dearly departed relatives. But Ed Cox found that to be somewhat absurd. He was against the idea, so he would refer to them as as the agency or entities. And And since I was working with him, I kind of picked up on that, and so I referred to it as the entity letters. But after the parapsychologists you know, gave up on the case, the phenomena continued to be quite robust, and these uh, you know, you're not supposed to curse, but these silly entities developed the capacity to write letters, and I encouraged them. I left paper out for them, to, and they would write a letter, and then they put it in an envelope, theoretically, and then they would mail me letters. So I, I became like pen pals with them, and the other Chirap members picked up on that idea, so we got We developed this letter-writing phenomena, and we would write letters. The entities would answer the letters and then send them off in the mail, and you could communicate with them. And this went on for decades.
0: Let me ask you a question here. This group, did they meet in person or remotely? What?
2: Well, they were meeting in person, uh, originally with Dr. Neihart, then after his death uh John Thomas Richards or Tom Richards became the main organizer of the group and they would meet once a week at his house. You see, but then oftentimes he'd come to Skyrim, they would meet there also. Then when he lived in different places during his career, like he, he lived in Cape Girardo, so then the group would meet there when he was when he was working there, then that's where they would meet. But they but different serap members could could Uh, organized sessions independent he did not have to be present for the phenomena to occur so there's other there are other people who had this propensity and then I have found from my research that this business of table tipping certain people uh, seem to have a knack for this and if you if they're present in your group that will the table will move around and uh, you know funny things will happen and things like that so I wouldn't be surprised if there's is it some people listening to this radio uh, broadcast right now? And some of them have had a very high level of um, anomalous experiences. And, and if we had them in our, I, I'm, I'm putting together an online group. So if a person wants to join that online group who has a high level of experience, that would, there's a possibility of, of this thing manifesting online. It's what we're doing right now.
0: Okay, this group existed from 1961 until 2017, and I'm going to ask you, Jim, in our next segment, what led to its dissolution or ending? More to come with Jim, Gene, and Tim, you're in... The
8: Paracast. You are listening to GCN.
20: TeamG'day.com TeamG'day.com
11: USA Radio News with Kenneth Burns. Despite the show of force, the Russian military has not been successful in taking Ukraine. It has lost hundreds of tanks, and its death toll is on pace to outstrip the country's previous military campaigns. Former NATO commander Wesley Clark telling the CBC in Canada that Russian President Vladimir Putin is fighting for his life. Mr. Putin must
15: be dying inside. This wasn't at all what he planned. He thought he was going to sweep in in three days. He probably grabbed a she that how great his military was and he's going to look like uh he's going to look like a poor country cousin of china if he keeps this up
11: officials are investigating the crash of an osprey aircraft during a nato exercise four american marines were aboard the aircraft when it went down in a norwegian town in the arctic circle the incident and the exercise is not related to the war in ukraine wall street ended the week with a rally this is usa radio news Your credit report is about to improve as credit bureaus remove medical debt.
21: Equifax, TransUnion, and Experian announced nearly 70% of medical debt on U.S. consumers' reports will be removed. It was also announced that medical debts less than $500 will no longer be added to credit reports starting in 2023.
11: From the USA Radio News Phoenix Bureau... I'm Tim Berg. The dean of the U.S. House of Representatives has died. Alaska Congressman Don Young earned that title because he was the longest-serving member of the lower house. He was first sworn in 49 years ago. His office said that the 88-year-old Republican passed away as he was heading home to Alaska. He survived by his wife, two daughters from his first marriage, and a host of grandchildren. Health authorities in China reported its first two COVID-19 deaths since January of last year. The two mortalities occurred in elderly patients with underlying health conditions, according to an official. You're listening to USA Radio News.
6: Hi, Peter Vicaro for ParanormalDate.com. Are you looking for love in all the wrong places? Now you have a chance to change that by signing up for free at ParanormalDate.com. This incredible dating site puts people of like minds together. People who are interested in the strange, the unusual, mysteries, ghosts, UFOs, and the afterlife, and so much more. ParanormalDate.com was developed for you
21: This is Marie
4: D. Jones, the author of this book is from the future, and you are listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
0: Of course, it may be they sounded like Tim Swartz on our last break. That's why they gave it up. They said, this is too much. But yeah, what led to the end of this group?
2: the group is no longer ended. When Tom Richards died, then that was the end of the Missouri Surratt. There was no more. His wife, they would would hold meetings, but they didn't seem like they were able to get very much phenomena. Just very, very faint raps. And now Tom Richards' wife is now deceased, so it would seem that I'm the remaining person. I've restarted the group, so we're now meeting online. So the surat continues now even today aha you're the big cheese yeah you might say that i don't have a big enough ego to be a big cheese i'm a, I'm a small cheese but how have,
0: many have, of you are in this group
2: oh very just a small number just a very handful but we have a, a guy out in germany who's he has a very very active poltergeist phenomena and has had the phenomena all his life I have to admit that in my interaction with Surratt for decades, I, I clung on to a skeptical orientation. But as time goes by, it becomes somewhat silly to to have that attitude. And so I've learned uh, that the phenomena is now following me. And I, I've had poltergeist phenomena here in my house here in Chesapeake, Virginia. You know, there it is. The, the thing happens. It's just as simple as that.
0: And so It follows you. Yeah. Okay, let's, well, let's pursue that so a little yeah, bit here, because yeah, there's an opinion that this phenomena is reflective. If you well, ask for it, it comes. If you run away from it, it chases you.
2: Well, it has a contagious quality. If, if you're exposed to it, then it can happen to you. Now, uh, there's a large percentage of people who are very much afraid of this, and, and perhaps rightfully so. It's kind of like mental disorder in a way. There's, it can have a negative features. Some people hear voices in their head, and that's the beginning of a kind of psychosis. But other people have voices, and maybe that's some spirit talking to them, or maybe it's something positive. I, I think it's important to have some kind of uh, psychologically healthy basis if you're going to get involved with this kind of thing, because it, it will reflect what's going on in your own psyche. So,
0: it could make it worse.
2: Yes, it could make it worse. So, it, it's beneficial to have some kind of positive tradition, maybe a positive spiritual foundation, and some kind of uh, healthy social relationships. You know, and and to like yourself, like to to feel secure within yourself. You know. In forming this group, I've had a lot of participants who are very, very concerned about demonic forces and they, they want me to say prayers, to ward off the demons. And and I'll do that if a person really wants it, but I, I think we need to just we like in the self the self-help book that we've written, there's a, there's different meditative procedures you can use and you can come into contact with yourself and with the, the memories that you have and, and be a psychologically healthy person. And you need not be afraid of the phenomena. I, I don't think that you really need to be afraid of the phenomena if, if you're doing it in a psychologically healthy context and with and, with, and seeking rapport within the group. You're, you're going to be supportive of people. The people are going to support each other.
0: Okay, you could be a well-adjusted person and not have a religion. So what then?
2: Well, just certainly you can. In fact, Within Buddhism, uh, there's a lot of Buddhists who don't really, you don't need to actually believe in anything. And so that was something that I was encountering in Vietnam with this, uh, the, my Buddhist commander that replaced the the mafia-type figure. It's not necessary to believe, you're just practicing uh, meditation strategy or something like that. It's not a matter of trying to convert other people, it's, it's not really a matter of believing, but of course, if something's going to work, then you're going to come and believe in it. If you can feel a positive effects from engaging in, in therapeutic practices, then you're going to continue doing that.
0: The implication of what you say is that if you really want this to happen, you can make it happen.
2: Well, that's that's placing a lot of emphasis on the person's ego, and. I think the actual secret to success is giving up your own ego, not placing emphasis on yourself. If you think about it, say, a depressed person or an anxious person, the source of the problem is the concern for the self. If if you're less concerned for yourself, I think a lot of us would be better off uh, being more concerned for other people than for yourself.
0: Well, that would be a practical position, again, irrespective of what religion you have, but people have experiences like this and they're not, or don't seem to be as well adjusted.
2: Right, there's a tendency for them not to be well adjusted because uh, this, this propensity is associated with dissociation. And people who have had abusive childhoods or difficult childhoods or coping strategy is dissociation. So there's a tendency for these types of experiences to be related to, to uh, difficult childhood and and, uh, and traumatic events in childhood and then later on in life, so that makes it all the more necessary to engage in some kind of practice which uh, helps you reach, uh, you know, peace of mind.
1: Oh yeah, some of the uh, some of the best uh, spiritual mediums in the past had extremely abusive childhoods. And, but then grew up and you know were able to use that I suppose uh, to to succeed as uh, uh, as mediums.
2: Well. Let's think about it just from an international perspective. A person, say, who's had a very difficult time and yet has devised a, a method which overcomes those problems, then they can present that to the people around them within their societies. They look, it works for me. You can you you can do this, and it'll work for you. So, Alcoholics Anonymous provides kind of a, a model for that. You know. A lot of people have a drinking problem, and they realize it, but they don't know what to do about it. But within Alcoholics Anonymous, there are people there who have overcome that problem, and so they're they they act as role models for others.
1: I want to go back uh, to the, uh, the the letters. Uh, I, I've read that uh, there were over sixteen hundred letters. That were uh, uh, sent over you know uh, a, a course of a number of years, and uh, I guess that uh, the, the letters were uh, uh, the questions were written, envelopes were provided, and then they were put into the Cox uh, case, Cox box as it is called, and sealed up yet they managed to get out and end up being uh, uh, mailed.
2: Well, originally that was the case. In fact, Cox even has films of the pen lifting up and writing before his camera. But actually, the way I envisioned the experiment, the way I saw things in 1982, was that the more scientifically skeptical you were, the less phenomena you had. I actually uh, set up a cot in the basement and I slept beside the mini lab every night. And I wanted to verify that. I wanted to see what was really going on. And while I did that, nothing happened. Hmm. So I just wrote, I just would leave the piece of paper beside the mini lab. And then that became more the norm as time passed. We didn't worry about security. Mm-hmm. There wasn't security with this letter writing thing. The whole thing was absurd, and and it was absurd. A lot of the things in the letters were very similar to things going on in Tom Richard's mind. He, some of the phrases were were parallel to phrases that he used when he spoke to me. So it seemed as if some of this was proceeding from his mind. But a lot of it was a kind of a, a fantasy stories and fantasy narratives, and a lot of it was very just total trivia that they were – they were just communicating people. It's just a correspondence. It was like a pen pal thing. You, you write, say, hey, hey, entities, how are you? You know, what's it like on the other side? The entities, oh, it's really great here. We're outside of space and time. You know, there, there's a kind of trivial quality to a lot of it. But the, there was a kind of a, a, cosmic, a cosmology regarding uh, probability and quantum mechanics. And this was in an era before that became popular. Uh, let's yeah. break.
0: We've got more with Jim and Gene and Tim. You're in the Paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
7: coming of the protectors find out more at rockoids.com that's rockoids r-o-c-k-o-i-d-s dot com
19: if you're like most americans you're pretty much in disbelief with what's going on in the world as we all know global problems are having local consequences too many of them and if the peanut butter really hits the fan are you ready grocery store supply chains are only as strong as their weakest link don't wait for them to break Now's the time to secure emergency food for everyone in your family. My Patriot Supply is America's largest preparedness company. Our specially packaged and delicious food stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. It'll be there when you need it. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and pick up several emergency food kits. There are a dozen different sizes that average over 2,000 calories per day. Our food kits will ship quickly and discreetly to your door. Having food storage in your home beats government food lines hands down. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today and prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com You don't sit behind a
22: desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen.
21: Take Jake's advice. Give federal tax management a phone call. If they help me, they can help anybody. Call the federal tax management hotline now. 800-503-8625. 800-503-8625.
20: 800-503-8625. Hi, this is James Fox. You're listening to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio.
0: Outside of time and space. How much of this do you think, Jim, is self-generated?
2: I have no idea. Uh, but my impression, here I am, I'm a 75-year-old guy. My impression is that a, a small percentage is self-generated. But my observation is that a lot of the phenomena seems to be a counter to what i thought was the case or it, it's not working the way I, I thought it was so if it were self-generated i would be supporting my own hypotheses but that's not actually the case i, I think it has to do with human consciousness and the the collective nature of human consciousness it's, there's probably, when we talk about this shared reality that we experience, that's probably a shared consciousness of some sort. And it's far for me to explain this scientifically, but that's a kind of like a personal philosophy that I've evolved that there's a collective consciousness and that you can name that however you want, whatever religion you're in is okay. But, but when you're, a lot of the paranormal phenomena is a kind of deviation from that. So if a small group gets together and they could create a kind of deviation from the collective consciousness, and then eventually they'll be overwhelmed, it's possible for the, this larger collectivity to eventually stop the phenomena from happening. And that seems to be what the parapsychologists experience. They, they get really good subjects, but then the quality seems to deteriorate and stop. So they, they don't have a fully replicable experiment, even though they, some claim that they do. But I... I That's not the the belief of people who are skeptical about the situation.
0: Is there a way, you think, for scientists to try to verify this, or do they think all of you guys and gals are just some kooks having fun?
2: Well, I would say the social sciences, social sciences such as sociology, psychology, would have a chance to make some kind of progress, because we can pass out surveys and we can collect the narratives, we can find correlations between the propensity for the anomalous experience, and we can find cross cultural correspondences, and then we can see patterns within the data, which which would shed light on the nature of human consciousness, then also over time there have actually been a lot of advances in understanding the human brain and understanding human consciousness and understanding the nature of sleep and of dreams. So I would think that if there's a young person listening to this podcast, by the time you're an old person like me, I bet there'll be some progress with their understanding of the nature of dreams. And it's possible that we come to a realization that there is some kind of collective consciousness phenomena and probably some larger consciousness beyond anything that we can understand
0: well there's always the collective unconscious which is carl jung's theory but then he related that also to ufos
2: that's correct and in fact the whole thing is related to ufos because the ufos have a hiding quality don't they they don't just sit there out on the mall and allow themselves to be inspected they appear and then they disappear and the the people who have a lot of UFO experiences are stigmatized people you know there's a strange kind of hidden world associated with it is very much similar to the parapsychological world the two things overlap if a person has a lot of ufo experiences there's a higher probability of them having extrasensory and and psychokinetic experiences and vice versa and the Surratts have had ufo experiences they have had many i personally have not Uh, Other people in the group have had pretty profound experiences.
0: Now, you referred to before experiencing paranormal events, and they kind of stick with you. That's being referred to as a hitchhiker effect among people involved in UFO research, that you see something, and sometimes that's the beginning, the onset of more phenomena.
2: Yes, and like with Uri Geller, when people see Uri Geller bed a spoon, and then they find that they're able to bend a spoon. Like the Japanese metal bender Masawaki Kyoto, uh, people see him and then they're able to bend spoons themselves. And uh, the the whole rapping phenomenon with the, with the Fox sisters in the spiritualist era, it had a contagious quality. So the kind of thing that happens in one particular society is has an ongoing existence, and it, it tends to continue. Like seeing a vision of the Virgin Mary, for example, is more prevalent in the Catholic societies than in non-Catholic societies. And uh, the, 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 the phenomena takes on a manifestation of the society within which it occurs.
0: Let me ask you something here on the rapping phenomena. Again, folks, this is not urban music. The rapping phenomena. You communicate back with it by rapping?
2: No, you just talk to it.
0: You're talking to, him. in other words. You speak okay. verbally, and it wraps okay, back. At
2: so, you. Uh, okay, so okay, uh, so I asked. I, I heard it the rapping, and I said hello. And so then they started rapping. Here, I'll make the rapping sound. There, I can't make it loud enough. Right? C D E F G H Okay, A B C
0: D E F G H I. I prefer they use Morse code. It's a lot yeah. easier.
2: It would be, yeah, but, but most people don't understand Morse code. That's unfortunate.
0: Now, that's an interesting thing here. Has anyone ever during these encounters said, hey, why can't you speak up instead of rapping?
2: Well, uh, there, let's see. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm searching my memory banks for a question like that. There, There have been direct voice phenomena within spiritualism, uh, there's a whole history of that. So there, are, there have been entities that have been able to speak up, Us theoretically. I don't know for that for a fact, but there's, a, there's literature about that. And so I, I don't know. It seems like it's, uh, the rapping sound is a, it's a, it's a tradition, and, and it's, it's something which uh, doesn't seem to bother skeptics. They just assume that it's fraudulent, and so it's able to continue well, the electronic voice phenomena—that's even more suspicious. So that would p- perhaps—that's more difficult for the for the energies to manifest in that direction.
0: Seems right, but I'm saying to you: Are you aware, with all these years you've been following this? Nobody has said, "Hey, Mr. Entity or Mrs. Entity or Ms. Entity, why don't you just speak up like we do? Stop this silly rapping."
2: Well, Cox wanted. Cox was always trying to elicit more vigorous phenomena. Uh, but if you say that, then they, were, they weren't they were able to do it. You, you've got to play with the cards that you're dealt, you know, rather than demanding something that you're not dealt.
0: In other words, they don't answer. If you say, well,
2: speak up, yeah.
0: they don't answer.
2: Yeah. Unless, I, I assume if you really believe that they could, then I suppose they would be able to. It seems to be a matter of belief. And the, the experience... It's not a matter of just saying that you believe something, but I think the actual experience is the foundation of belief. And people who have had these unusual experiences, it shapes you. And I've seen that in my own life. Over over the years I have been shaped. And so now I've I've come to accept I've come to accept this as probably authentic. I must admit, during during years and years I could not accept a lot of the, the this letter writing phenomenon just seems so very very weird. It's difficult to believe it's authentic, but why not?
0: You have a family, and how do they react to this?
2: Well, my wife is very skeptical, and so that's what I'm surrounded with right now. Now, my first wife, she was quite the believer, and uh, she uh, was out came out to Missouri a number of times, and she spent time down her knees and putting her hands on the floor where the raps were coming and marveling at the wonderful phenomena. So I guess I've had two families and one went one way and now this. my present wife is not at all supportive of this kind of thing.
0: What does she tell you? Stop it?
2: Well, she's tolerant of it because she knows I've been doing it and have all these books out about it. But she wants to inform me that scientifically this isn't going to go anywhere. And it wouldn't—it would not surprise me if that were not the case, because of this hiding quality, it's difficult to use traditional science. It doesn't seem it doesn't seem that a whole lot of progress is being made using traditional scientific methods. Now, J.B. Ryan put together this paradigm where we investigate ESP and we have ESP cards, and they're separate, and you do all the statistical analysis. No, but and so they've done a lot of statistical analysis, but that doesn't seem to capture people's imagination, or it doesn't seem to have to sway to the scientific community. The 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 resistance to this is much more stronger than you might realize, and I and I think I, I feel it inside myself. I certainly resisted believing for for long periods of time. There's a there's a powerful forces which are maybe maybe that's the force that's holding this collective consciousness together. You know, but we're we're living in this shared reality. We don't really. And want therefore,
0: to get we, you would say, in, it follows that in the shared reality, we can sometimes manipulate the reality in different ways, either collectively or individually. We have Jim McLennan. We're talking about paranormal phenomena, rapping. With Tim Swartz and Gene Steinberg, you're in the
1: Pericast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN. Be sure to visit GCNlive.com today.
7: Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg.
0: When you talk about Dr. Ryan, I think of the opening scenes of Ghostbusters.
2: Well, it doesn't quite work like that. Ryan was trying to, he certainly was a careful individual and did his very best to do careful research and certainly accumulated a lot of evidence. And he stimulated other people to do similar evidence. And when I was in my 30s, I was of that school. I thought that they could make progress in that line, but it doesn't seem to have occurred. I'm unclear as to exactly what's been proven by all that, except they keep proving there's something anomalous going on, but the underlying feature I think has not been proved. My personal way of, is thinking about the nature of consciousness and, and, one, and speculating about the, the quality of consciousness and how that works.
1: You know, I think that the, the one clear component about the phenomena that almost never changes is that it is evasive and that you have to play the game on its terms and that it can change the rules anytime
2: it wants to. Well, that I would agree with that statement. It seems like it has a dream-like quality. When you think about the nature of dreams, dreams are outside of normal reality, but there's a certain structure to them at the same time. And so if we make a list of all the features of dreams, dreams are far more anomalous than a paranormal phenomena. In other words, in a dream, you could leap up in the air and fly, but the actual flying of humans is very, very rare, even in, even when we include uh, paranormal phenomena. You know, a, a Catholic priest or two might do a little bit of flying, and a uh, few other people will levitate, but not very often. But in dreams, it's, it's more common. So there seems to be kind of a continuum it, where it's a partial dream, and in dreams is a, is a partial shared dream quality. When a ghost appears, uh, some people can see it and others not. When you have a collection of people, so it's as if some people are sharing the experience while others not. So it seems like with a sociological domain, you can explore this type of phenomenon and see which types of people are able to experience the phenomena and what's the impact of them uh, of this manifesting. My theory is that a lot of this has to do with uh, uh, psychosomatic healing. Like the belief has a very powerful health benefits. So, if you believe in the phenomena, that gives you the, the potential to uh, engage in shamanic uh, ritual and something like that, which provides these health benefits. People who participate benefit through psychosomatic healing.
1: Was anything uh, like that uh, done through the Surat group?
2: Oh yes, they did a lot of healings, mm-hmm. and and some of them works uh, hard. It had a funny characteristic, and people would be aware. uh, They would feel uh, the symptom would go away immediately while the session was going on, but then it would come back. And so I decided I would do, you know, I was a young guy, 30-something, so I wrote down every case of attempted healing involving Surat, and I then monitored the case to see what the outcome would be. And some people had cancer, that seemed very severe, and I thought, well, it certainly isn't going to work in these cases. And other people had trivial things like fingernail fungus or something like that. I said, that's pretty trivial. You should be able to heal that with psychosomatic suggestion, right? But it turned out the cancer the cancers tended to go into remission, and a lot of these chronic trivial ailments, it didn't seem to uh, help people in that area, but all in all, there's a pretty high percentage of success with regard to the to the healings. So I felt that since I wasn't a believer at the time, I found that to be surprising. But it wasn't something that could be actually demonstrated. It wasn't a wasn't a really carefully, validly controlled experiment. So I never was able to publish anything along the lines of what my findings were. I just mentioned it in my book, the fact that I conducted this experiment, and I was surprised. But you know, people who have cancer, there's a probability of living and there's a pro- probability of dying for, for each year. And the, We know that probability. So if you have cancer, you would want to be one who lives. So the, the idea of turning towards a spiritual healer is, is seemingly, folklore tells us, that, that often, or they can be effective. I don't know how often it's effective, but it's, to, to have a proper attitude would probably increase your survival rate
1: you had talked about uh uh, earlier the dreamlike quality of the phenomena and uh, talked about uh, a flying if uh, our listeners uh, go online all they have to do is just uh, put Surratt into google and they'll come across a a number of interesting sites Uh, but uh, there are a number of uh, very fascinating uh, photographs that uh, show the group uh uh, table tipping, but it's not just table tipping. It's uh, there. There are photographs of the table uh, levitating. There's photographs of say like a, there's a hat le- levitating over a table, uh, a, a, a doll uh, levitating. So I mean, you know, there's some just absolutely fascinating photographs on some of the things that this group uh, accomplished.
2: So many, so many, and that. That was the one thing that I encountered when I first arrived at the group. A lot of people had scrapbooks, and they, would, when i visit them at their house, they bring out the scrapbook and then show me all these photographs of levitating objects. It, it was, uh, and they would tell stories to support it. And the levitating object would occur at the same time that an earthquake effect would occur. The whole room would shake. And then they had raps, and they would communicate with the deceased people, and they would... Oh, so many, many different, unusual types of phenomena. Ports would appear, objects would appear uh, in the room. A very, very robust phenomena.
1: There's also a, a, a really good photograph that was uh, taking, taken uh, involving an entity that uh, called itself uh, Myra, or uh, Miss Myra Kavanaugh of Alton, Illinois. Are you familiar with that one?
2: Oh, very familiar. Tom described that event many many times and Elaine also described it and they showed me that photograph and other similar ones uh, again and again the the photograph is is quite strange it shows a woman and it looks like she's got uh, I think 18 I forget the exact era but I think it's 1860, 1870, 1880 clothing and she's sitting in a field and you can see the shadows of the trees but she's not casting a shadow and now this photograph was taken in the middle of the night so if you, if you believe uh, Tom Richards, then something very, very strange is going on. But even the whole thing is, is a kind of an unusual, quite an unusual event. It would be difficult to, to stage. I guess, I guess with modern technology, you could erase a person's shadow, I suppose.
1: Yeah, but this photograph was taken when, you know, you, you still have to have a dark room. In order to yes. do any uh, photographic manipulations,
2: you, you can't just put it on Photoshop now. Then, <laughs> well, there's kind of a puzzlement. Now, I've talked to Tom many, many times about that photograph, and in his writing, he doesn't he doesn't reveal the fact that he was in trance while this was going on, and I, and Elaine took the photograph, and. Uh, because i think he's i think he's embarrassed he doesn't want to, he doesn't want people to think he was a medium but, but but he did go in trance not frequently and as time went on it became less and less but but he did sometimes go into trance and so he would do things which he was not aware of and so 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 it made for a kind of a strange portrayal because he wasn't really aware of what was going on but, but it was apparently a story which was presented to him because a photograph exists and his wife would tell him what happened.
1: So do you think that um, do you think that Tom played a significant role? in all this i mean i know he wasn't there right from the very beginning but you know uh, during during the majority of this and the times that that you were there uh you know he seems to be a like a key component
0: to uh, the activity we've got more to come and we'll get that answer from jim on the other side with not that other side folks (laughs) with jim and Sam and Gene, you're in <laughs> the paracast. Do you need a website? Well, you can get a great deal on hosting services with Namecheap's legendary coupon code.
7: more at Rockoids.com. That's Rockoids, R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S.com.
19: If you're like most Americans, you're pretty much in disbelief with what's going on in the world. As we all know, global problems are having local consequences. Too many of them. And if the peanut butter really hits the fan, are you ready? Grocery store supply chains are only as strong as their weakest link. Don't wait for them to break. Now's the time to secure emergency food for everyone in your family. My Patriot Supply is America's largest preparedness company. Our specially packaged and delicious food stays fresh for up to 25 years in storage. It'll be there when you need it. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and pick up several emergency food kits. There are a dozen different sizes that average over 2,000 calories per day. Our food kits will ship quickly and discreetly to your door. Having food storage in your home beats government food lines hands down. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com today and prepare for what's coming. MyPatriotSupply.com
17: GCN's policy is open forum avoiding censorship. Defense costs for words spoken outside of our control supersede the ability to deliver voices to this important talk platform. The First Amendment is the foundation of our core values. Castle culture is silencing voices regardless of perspective. Freedom to speak is in the balance. Support the legitimacy of speech itself. Consider donating to SaveGCN.com. That's SaveGCN.com.
7: We'd like to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com.
0: This is the other side, but not of reality. Not the afterlife. This is the Paracast. Tim Swartz and our special guest this week is Jim McLennan, and we're talking about their efforts to explore the universe of the paranormal. Now, those who are involved in groups such as this, do they cover any particular age spectrum or what? I mean, can teenagers get involved?
2: Oh, most definitely, yes. Now... The Surrattes were a little bit concerned. They didn't want young children to be involved because then they would talk to their, their schoolmates. And there's a they, they experienced a very powerful stigma associated with this. And the Richards were very careful not to tell the people at their church what they were doing because there's a, there's a huge percentage of the society who just can't seem to understand this kind of thing. So, yes. And, in fact, I think teenagers are particularly prone to this. There's a period of life... Where this dissociative capacity is at a high stage, so a, a good way to experience phenomena would be to have a bunch of teenagers go out together, men, boys, and girls together. They go to a haunted house, probably bring some marijuana, some alcohol, and bang, they'll probably a ghost will come and visit them. That's a folklore story, but and when I collect folklore stories, that's a that's a common thing that happens. But I don't know that it's really all that good for them. It'd be better to have a kind of a, some kind of structure around it. The Surratts had all different age groups. Now, the original Surratt group with Tom and Elaine, as he grew older and older, Ivan, their son, became more of a central figure, and his college friends were participants, and they started getting very robust phenomena. So, yes, it's an intergenerational thing. Previously, you asked to what degree was Tom Richards the source, and a lot of people regarded him as like a Polargeist guy, center of the phenomena that was kind of my observation i never observed the table moving about unless his fingers were touching Mm. but i think that might have been my predisposition i'm not sure there are other people who could get phenomena on their own and did often whenever they were in a group that group experienced phenomena So there's other people besides Tom that were able to do this, but Tom was the one who was most oriented towards scientific investigation, and so he organized the groups, and he and Ed Cox worked to try to gain an understanding of this and to try to do the best they could, but it didn't work out as far as keeping the parapsychological attraction, because the parapsychologists wanted to increase, keep increasing the controls tighter and tighter. And they brought in a research group from St. Louis and they didn't seem to have the research group didn't seem to have an understanding of the need for rapport. And without that rapport, they didn't get very good results. So they wrote a famous paper, which they refer to as a failure to replicate. And the parapsychologists gave up on the case because it couldn't, it couldn't manifest under the conditions which they desired, which apparently involved not having the proper rapport.
0: Okay, the rapport factor, is that a collective belief or what?
2: I'm not sure. Now, it's something I could feel present in that room in Skyrim. But as time passed, it seemed like there was a lot of friction even within the group. So the rapport probably wasn't as high later on, but the phenomena wasn't as high later on also so rapport is something that people feel in harmony with each other
0: when you refer to friction within the group does that mean that you've had many changes of memberships over the years
2: Oh they there was always continually change of membership yes people come and go and there's a, a segment of the group that's very interested in communicating with their dearly departed loved ones and that's what they really wanted and they excluded Cox. They wouldn't allow him to attend their sessions because he he was disruptive of that, dismissive of it. So there's there were uh, factions, I guess you might say, but it wasn't it wasn't like they were antagonistic, but different orientations.
0: But the way you describe it, it cannot be done with a large group of people, can it?
2: Well, there were sessions. I was not present, but in the early sessions, I apparently there was a session where there were 50 people present. But it was somewhat disorganized. and Not everyone's close in and able to, you know, it makes for just a chaotic situation. I've been present three sessions where there are 18 people. But it's too many. It's perhaps too many. And I, I did a careful analysis. And the the actual highest level of phenomena seemed to be Tom and Elaine Richards when they were alone. They seemed to have the most robust phenomena. So it seemed to be a matter of having people who don't seem to thwart the phenomena. That seemed to be an important factor. And certain people seemed to reduce the phenomena. Other people were facilitative of the phenomena. Now, I'm going to have to, I've got better, I'm basing my analysis on the, the data that I had About five years ago or six years ago, now I've got a more complete set of Tom's notes. So someday, maybe a few years from now, I'll have another more complete analysis. But I'm pretty sure it'll support that hypothesis that certain people facilitate the phenomena and other people thwart the phenomena. Most of us probably don't have much effect one way or the other. And a lot of it depends on what you've experienced. If you've seen something, then that increases your probability of being able to see it again.
0: Now, I notice in your Appendix B, it's a do-it-yourself guide of some sort. What does that entail?
2: Well, there were a lot of writing about that back then, you know, 20 years ago or so. The Bachelor Door... Phenomena, Bachelor Organized Group, Kenneth Gap Bachelor. Then there's the Philip Group, a group in Toronto. They organized a group and they got a simulated spiritualist phenomena with a, with a fictitious spirit. So the groups would get together, they all put their hands on the table, and then they think if they just relax and they meet regularly every week, that then the phenomena will manifest. So the thought was that this would be a good way of getting paranormal phenomena. now i tried organizing groups again and again i probably tried about four different times to organize groups and i and i over the decades and i was not particularly successful so i wrote that do-it-yourself thing based on other people's thoughts and that was my thinking at the time of writing that most of that manuscript was written about 20 years ago and then i couldn't find a publisher now here we are the year 2022 I think uh, having a person who is very open and has had powerful experiences is probably a key factor. I think rapport is probably important, but it's also important to have a person who has had many powerful experiences. That that seems to be kind of like open a pathway for the phenomena to occur. And then once it starts occurring, then you're on your way. You could go somewhere with it.
0: I do see the book is published by Anomalist Books, and we've known those people for a number of years. They cover a really wide, wide range of paranormal subjects. So it's certainly worth doing it. It's 382 pages, it says here, 35 illustrations. And as you say, it took 20 years to get from there to here or... With this book. To ask you some more things about it, and we're hoping you'll stick with our premium show after the PowerCast, after this. But right now, we're talking with Jim McLennan, and specifically focusing a lot on the book, The Entity Letters. Your guest co host is Tim Swartz. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in
12: The PowerCast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN.
20: USA Radio News. A bipartisan group of senators is visiting Poland and Germany this weekend to discuss the war in Ukraine. The delegation will meet with NATO military leaders and other top officials about the Western response to the Russian invasion. The group said in a joint statement that the Senate stands united in its support for Ukraine. U.S. officials have confirmed that Russia launched hypersonic missiles against Ukraine last week. The launches were likely intended to test the weapons and send a message to the West about Russian capabilities. The town of Carbon, Texas, has been nearly wiped out by the Eastland Complex wildfires. Those fires have now burned over 54,000 acres and destroyed 86 homes about 100 miles west of Fort Worth.
17: All this is material things, but
18: it's still heartbreaking, and we're just hoping to rebuild.
20: Officials there say the wildfires are now about 30% contained. Governor Greg Abbott has declared a disaster in 11 Texas counties. This is USA Radio News. Officials in Dumas, Arkansas, say as many as 20 people were shot, some of them children, and at least one person killed outside of a car show raising money for a nonprofit youth organization Saturday night. This is organizer Wallace McGee. We did this here for 16 years without a problem. You know what I mean? And we want our community to come back. We're going to get through this. A federal judge says a Kentucky County clerk violated two same-sex couples' rights back in 2015.
11: Kim Davis was the clerk in Rowan County, Kentucky, when the U.S. Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage in 2015. 2015, but the devout apostolic Christian denied issuing licenses to same-sex couples, citing her religious beliefs. The next step is to decide whether she is on the hook for legal fees that have accrued into the hundreds of thousands of dollars over the last several years. For USA Radio News, I'm Kenneth Burns in New York.
20: Volkswagen is recalling more than 246,000 SUVs in the U.S. and Canada because faulty wiring harnesses can make them break unexpectedly sometimes while in traffic. This is USA Radio News.
2: This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the podcast, the
17: gold standard of paranormal
0: radio. Now he's being taken up by an entity, Tim Swartz. We see that. (laughs) Let me ask you kind of an offbeat question here with all these things going on contacting strange entities have you guys looked into possible ufo abductions
2: well i certainly read about it and there's a certain segment of the population who feels like they've had uh, personal contacts with ufos and i have uh, masuaku kyoto a friend of mine from way back He's a metal bender living in Japan. He has had kind of contacts. I don't think he's been abducted, but he feels like he's had UFO contacts. So that seems to be a, a way the, met, the phenomenon manifests. It seems to be something that, that people have. Now, it seems to me that if you are going to choose a kind of experience, it probably would be better not to choose UFO contacts and being abducted because there's a lot of negative experiences. A lot of times it's, it's negative, it seemingly really troubling, and they have missing time, and, and there's, it's not so much fun. But I could see, I, I people are, are they kid me, you know, because I'm I would I'm so curious about this. I would like to be abducted. I think because I'm very curious about it, and I think because I have the right attitude, I bet it would be a lot, I would have a lot of fun, I don't know, what do you think, what you're thinking about on the matter? (laughs) Would you like to be abducted? (laughs) Yeah. Would you like to be abducted?
1: Uh, I don't know about Gene, but uh, yeah, no, that's not something that I would consider a highlight in
0: my life.
2: (laughs) Well, you see, it could be, if they were really friendly UFO people, you know, have a good time, really party it up, you know, and
0: You have the situation in UFO contacts where we're told the Space Brothers care about us. They really care about us. But then I'm looking at what's happening in Ukraine now and all the other countries where we have devastation. Yemen, you name the country. Syria, where people are killed for no reason. Innocent people, and they're not soldiers. And you think if E.T. exists and E.T. cares a whit about us, they come down here and do something. But all they do is talk. I call E.T. feckless myself.
2: <laughs> and I know about this from personal experience. My experiences in Vietnam were very uncool. It was not a good thing. I, w- I left there with a, a lot of negative attitudes. And, and so it's something you have to work with. And that's what I our self-help elements at the end of each chapter provide people ways of, of dealing with it. And yes, there is this terrible, terrible problem, and human beings have some real problems. And I guess we're not going to last on this earth forever. The way we're going, we're going to will destroy our own Earth. But the question is, what can you do about it? And you would, you want to be a positive person because you're a lot happier when you're a positive person. And when you're a positive person, you can attract other positive people around you, and life can be a wonderful banquet rather than a, a terrible struggle.
0: Well, right now, of course, all the sci-fi novels covering the early 21st century talked of devastation, Armageddon, even Star Trek universe, which tends to be optimistic. You look at the civilization in Star Trek First Contact, 2063, the condition of the world, and it takes a crazy inventor to invent warp drive and contact other beings, the Vulcans, to get them out of it. But that's just part of the standard sci-fi stuff. I mean, my son and I wrote a sci-fi novel, and we predicted all sorts of horrible things happening in the 21st century. So maybe that's the realization, or maybe we all knew first.
2: Well, okay, let's talk about the entity letters and the things that the entity said. They visualize reality as a bunch of, of, of forks a bunch of choices that you make, and you could go one direction or another direction, then you have another fork, and then another fork, so your life is a whole series, like a bunch of a tree, a huge tree, and the branches get wider and wider, and then when you die, you get a chance to see the whole tree, okay? And then, maybe the, the Earth is like that, the is all realities, are like we have all these multiple realities, so I could see that there's one branch, some branches where things are going to be really bad, just, you know, the septic and the their famines and the plagues will be very prevalent, and but then there's other branches where everything's working out just hunky dory, and we, we have heaven and all on earth, and things really go the right way. So here's what I'm going to do: I'm going to always go the right, the positive side to the degree that is possible, and and instead of waiting for the death angel, I'll be waiting for Santa Claus to arrive and uh, I'll have a, a good time, and perhaps perhaps there's someone listening to this and they're having a whole lot of trouble, and uh, they could send me an email and tell me their strange experiences, no problem, because we'll keep a positive attitude and you could follow the exercises. And Like, for example, uh, just allowing yourself to practice meditation. Take a breath in and then breathe out and just focus on your breath and you'll you'll find yeah a thought comes maybe it's a negative thought so then just let it go you know the future is bleak well we'll let that go instead future's positive okay you know take another breath in let it out it's possible to to choose a positive direction
1: you know it's interesting though that uh you had the entities writing this back in, what was it, the early 1980s. Yeah. And now this is something that is really being seriously uh, considered by uh, modern physics.
2: Yes, indeed, indeed. It's the quantum mechanics, and, but it's a popularization of quantum mechanics. So it, it could easily be that this will become more of a prevalent uh, belief system. And and in harmony with quantum mechanics, and and indeed, the field of quantum mechanics has now found that it is it is possible for the uh, you know the entanglement uh, say a, a quantum particle at one edge of the universe and a quantum particle on another edge of the universe. These two particles are connected so that a change in one particle affects the other particle. That's a that's a, a fact within quantum mechanics. It's, this isn't just a of the speculation so yes it is it is kind of curious that this preceded but you know visionaries oftentimes uh, come up with ideas that precede the actual acceptance of the idea
1: Well, I think that there – was there a part where somebody actually uh, was trying to um, uh, uh, get some further uh, um, elaboration from the entities about the whole idea of, you know, uh, parallel realities, multiple timelines, that sort of thing. And then all of a sudden they became very evasive with their answers, kind of danced around the subject.
2: Yeah, a lot of it's BS. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I I'm reminded of a case. A guy in in Great Britain contacted me because he read the book. He said, "Oh, we've been doing uh, similar things here in Great Britain, and they had a group together, and they were uh, traveling around Great Britain and, and looking for ancient artifacts and finding some. Found, they found a a, a a Renaissance sword hidden in a in a stone wall. And, oh, I know the guy
1: you're talking about. Yes, yeah, I've yeah. talked with him before. Huh?
2: Yeah, but uh, he said. He said, "But you know, ultimately, this is all buttocks." <laughs> <laughs> so I think you know, uh, this is, it is, sometimes it's better just to have a kind of a down-to-earth attitude.
1: Yeah, uh, his his group had some interesting uh experiences as well very similar to the surat group i mean they they especially had a lot of uh apports in their sessions uh,
2: yeah now the the book if i remember correctly one book is i think it's called the green stone am i correct so, about that
1: yeah that's correct yes and, i don't know if it's been published in the u.s though i think it's just been, yes
2: right. it's hard to get a hold of uh but yeah, they had an unusual experience and they found a, a sword in a stone wall and this and it was a, had to do with the, uh, Mary, Queen of Scots, I think, or something like that.
0: We've got more with Jim, more with Jean, more with Tim. A lot of things to talk about. You're in the paracast.
8: Thank you for listening to GCN.
0: Once again, the paracast.plus. Prices are just 50 a week less than a cup of coffee at your local convenience store. Check out the paracast.plus to learn more about Paracast Plus. You trust your mother, right? She's always taken care of you and always
10: tried to give you good advice when you ask for it. And sometimes even when you don't. Well, even though she might not mention it, mom very likely has neck, back, and shoulder pains. And she needs relief. So trust this good advice. Give back to mom this Mother's Day with quality products from Sunny Bay. Like our disposable heat patches. They're back in stock now and target neck and shoulder pain in adults of all ages. Or our extra-long neck heating pads they provide soothing relief to painful sore necks and backs mom can heat them in her microwave and they come in a variety of colors and patterns read our trusted authentic and real reviews on amazon when you search sunny bay heating wraps and shop now in time for mother's day there's no shipping delays from sunny bay find us on amazon walmart etsy and sunny-bay.com remember just search for sunny bay neck wraps order now because stock is high and shipping is fast from sunny bay
22: Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the Tax Doctor and learn more. 800-507-3137.
20: 800-507-3137. 800-507-3137. That's 800-507-3137.
4: This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast.
0: We're talking about, right now, focusing on the book, The Entity Letters from Anomalist Books, with James McLennan, Ph.D., former sociology professor, talking about this group, Surratt, where they got together and pondered the paranormal. Now... How many groups like this are there? There might be a lot, with only a few people in each, right?
2: Well, there's a lot of spiritualist groups that I've encountered, and so people are are going that direction. There, I think they're sprinkled a lot of different places. Of course, I'm looking for ones that are have real robust phenomena. And every now and then, people come up to me and they say, "This happened or that happened." So, I, I think there are people who have. A somewhat robust phenomena but there seems to be limitations on the phenomena you know that it isn't something that manifests on demand
0: you can't just bring it about say here
2: well so here's been my experience in recent years we have scientifically organized groups such as the kenneth bachelors group where they did table tipping and they attributed it to the consciousness of the people in the group and we have the philip group experiment where they attribute it to some uh, fictitious spirit now these would be experiments which theoretically could be replicated I've been trying to put together groups but I can't get the people to agree about what they want to have happen because we have spiritualists and they want to contact with the spirits and we have people who are familiar with the paranormal psychical research literature and they would like to replicate the Philip group and the two can't Get together, and people in this society right now are having trouble agreeing about almost anything. And some people are tell us that the virus is not something you have to worry about, and other people say, "Oh yeah, we've got to put on our mask, and we got to get vaccinated."
0: Yeah, but that's a matter of fact versus fiction. It's not a matter of having opinions. There is objective fact that we're talking about. Masks do have a certain degree of protection. And the fact that vaccines have a certain proven degree of protection. And whether you believe a fact or not doesn't change the fact. You're entitled to your opinion, but not to your fact. But in terms of something as ephemeral as spiritualistic phenomena, all bets are off.
2: But it makes for arguments within the group, so people are spending their time arguing rather than focusing their mind on. They can't agree about that. How can they possibly agree about what they should focus their mind on? Like I was trying to get the people to pick some particular focus of attention, like for example, a Saint Simon, like a Guatemalan saint, or Saint Francis, or maybe a Catholic saint. We'll all focus our mind on that, but. It can't seem to resonate. No one can't, can't seem to agree on what to focus their mind on. So now I just use the term, the entities. Okay, well, let's try and just focus on the entities, whatever they are. But that doesn't have the same emotional resonance as a collective focus which you get in say a shamanic society where everyone's you know they close off the tp and the tp tents shake and they get the proper spirits coming and they can communicate and find out which way to go to find the buffalo you know i mean you have some kind of objective we seem to lack the social cohesiveness that might be necessary to really get the phenomena to manifest
0: you're also implying the phenomena is subjective that it it depends very much on your perceptions of reality. If you perceive things to be a certain way, that's what you get. If you perceive it in a different way, you get that instead?
2: I don't know about that. I'm not sure. We've been meeting online for a number of months, a number of years now. The very first session, this woman who was participating in her group, a plague mask, which was a souvenir that she bought in Venice, came flying off a mantle and fell onto the floor during our meeting. I was thinking, well, we'll have to wait for months and months and then we'll get some phenomena. The phenomena started manifesting almost from the beginning. So that violates my assumption. I thought it would take a long time. I thought that we needed to develop rapport. I mean, I'm calling this group Society for Research on Rapport and Telekinesis. Maybe even that assumption isn't necessarily true. I don't know. But that phenomena, that plague mass falling, that Preceded this virus, which spread all over the world, so it seemed like a precursor of it, uh, an omen of it, in a way.
0: I would think here that if anyone's capable of predicting the future, that would be something they can predict the future event. Just like before nine eleven, people had some kind of feeling of dread. And I've talked often about my experiences when the wife and I and my son the visit to the World Trade Center about six weeks before 9-11, and there was an escalator taking you to the top level. I couldn't go up that level. I was just scared to death. I just had to sit down in the coffee shop beneath it and just pray that they get down so I could leave the building. I did not feel comfortable until I left that building.
2: So that's the kind of story I've been spending my life writing down people's stories like that. That would be a story. It's like a, pre, a precognition. But at the same time, the precognition didn't allow you to publish a warning saying, please don't go to the World Trade Center on such and such a day. You know, The, the information is very rarely specific enough to have an impact on us.
0: Imprecise, certainly. Definitely imprecise. You felt you need to get away from there, but you didn't know why. Now, maybe if I had a different way of looking at it, I could have figured out that there's going to be some horrific event in a few weeks hence. But no, I just wanted to get out of there and I didn't stop to think logically.
2: Yeah, there seems to be, and there's, there's, you know, if you look in the Old Testament, the prophets were always warning of the impending problem. If you don't behave yourself, something bad will happen. And then if you wait long enough, and it tends to not be very long, something bad does happen. So that's something we can pretty much count on. And the people who warn us about it, they serve, there's a kind of service about that. They're serving the society. But uh my own particular orientation, when people warn me about the demons and the demonic forces, I feel that I have, I'm have i kind of protected. I feel like, well, for some reason, I guess I really haven't done that enough bad things, really. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't feel, <laughs> you
0: know. <laughs> right, but then the belief in demonic forces doesn't necessarily depend on your belief structure that you haven't led a good life. You might just... Well, believe in that particular thing like some people believe in ufos being demonic but that's their belief and it doesn't mean they are
2: here's been my experience certain people have had uh experiences and that causes them to believe in the demonic forces i mean they have a rational basis for their belief because they've had experiences of it that's a process that I keep encountering people who have seen something of course they believe in it it makes sense for them to believe in it some people have had had very negative experiences Here, I'll tell a quick story about my work in the psychiatric hospital there was a guy who came in and he had a demon inside of him and he had had it for 7 years this demon and he would plan to commit suicide And so they had brought him into a psychiatric hospital, and I have to do a lot of paperwork, so I was interviewing interviewing him. And he was telling me that he was going to get out eventually, and as soon as he got out, he was going to commit suicide. I care about the people, and so I said, well, please don't commit suicide here in the hospital, because that will really cause a lot of paperwork. You know, that's going to be, and you're really going to harm, it'll make it really bad for me. Well, to make a long story short, I talked him into taking his meds and I talked him into believing in this one psychiatrist. The psychiatrist gave him prescribed the medicine. He took the medicine. The the voices went away.
0: Jim McLennan, can you tell us where do we find more information about you?
2: Well, I've got a website, jamesmclennan.com, and I've got a YouTube channel having to do with James McLennan youtube channel and then you can find the mini lab films about Surratt there and you can see objects move around inside the sealed container and come out through the surface and everything and see pens writing letters
0: Hey, you can find us on Twitter if you look for the ParaCast. Find us on Facebook. Also, the ParaCast, find our branded merchandise at the paracast.shop, the paracast.shop with the logos and the t-shirts. Check out the paracast.plus for our premium show. The premium show consists of Several parts, the major ones, of course, this show, Free of the Network Ads, and the exclusive, After the Powercast podcast, where Jim will return for further discussions. For more information, go to thepowercast.com. Plus special offer while it lasts use the coupon code UFO20 UFO20 to get a 20% discount on lifetime and 5 year subscriptions the powercast dot plus Jim McLennan thank you so much for joining us on the powercast
2: thanks for having me